Ladies and gentlemen, what a great episode of the Web3 show co-hosted by the one and only Elio Trades. We actually discuss an interview that he did on his YouTube with Darius Dale, who is uh, essentially a macro economist talking about the current state of affairs in this nine month bear market and what we could see in the next three to six to nine months and what the future looks like for interest rates, inflation, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, risk assets, everything in between. So it's fantastic. Of course, afterwards, we talk about the main story in the NFT space, Reddit NFTs and Redditors coming into the NFT space. So that's a jam. Always great to hear Elliot's opinions on gaming, NFTs, crypto, economics, finance, and all that. Hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon, East Coasters. Good morning to the West Coasters. You have tuned into the Web3 show, co-hosted by the one and only Elio Trades. On this show, we talk about all things Web3, but also technology, financial markets, real estate, anything and everything in between gaming, of course, given that Elio is building a gaming business and is incredibly knowledgeable on that. If you want to contribute to the conversation, come on stage. No self-promotion, no promotion of financial interest. However, we want you to make some great content with us and discuss some of the topics that we discuss on every day. As I mentioned, Elio Trades, co-host, prolific YouTuber, big-time content creator, and CEO of the gaming enterprise, Imposters, built on the blockchain. Nifty Nick, my other co-host, my partner in crime, the funniest man in the NFT business. Nucci, a pal of mine, a podcast host in his own right, and a member of Proof Collective. Got a chance to kick it with him in Vegas last week. It was great meeting you, buddy. Uh, And I'm your host. You don't need to know about me, though. Uh, A lot for us to talk about today. We have a lot of action that we've seen suddenly in the market with Reddit NFTs, and we touched upon that yesterday. Uh, But before we kind of dive in uh, to everything here, I just want to see, Elliot, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Can you guys hear me? Um, I'm using your your fancy roadcaster setup, so I don't know if it's working uh, the way it should. Tell me, tell me how I'm. Coming we can in. hear you. Um, it's not as maybe loud and clear as I think it could be, and it does sound like you got a li- little something in your throat. You mentioned that you might be a little under the weather. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I woke up. I've never felt. Uh, I've never felt worse. But I'm here because this is the most important place to be. Um, I'm, let me know. Should I just switch back to the uh, the iPhone setup right no, now? It- I think you, uh, we can hear you. Uh, it, it's. I feel like the volume could be slightly louder or something like that. If you just uh, increase the mic volume, that may uh, resolve it. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like poor quality. Yeah, you sound good, man. And Elliot, you know, I was telling you uh, in our in our Discord chat before this that I was just walking my dog for about an hour and I threw on the podcast that you recorded with Darius Dale. And so I wasn't familiar with Darius before listening to him on your podcast. Um, it's an incredible episode. It's a, a fantastic podcast. I also didn't know, um, you know, that you were doing uh, long form content like that. That was you know just so good. And listening to Darius, I had a few takeaways, and I feel like we can kind of kick things off on the macro side with some of the stuff that he talked about. You know, the first thing is he sounded like a pretty big Bitcoiner to me specifically. And some of my takeaways, the, the, I'd say the two biggest that. I got in the 45 minutes that I listened to were number one, he, it sounds like, believes in the thesis that uh, higher inflation is just simply here to stay. Uh, one quote that I heard from him is three is the new two. Um, and then, uh, and, and you can, you know, definitely kind of expand on that. And then also, 
It sounds like he's a believer that the the liquidity in the bond market long term will flow into to Bitcoin and in theory, uh, you know, crypto as well. So, you know, on those two points, I was wondering if you could kind of kick things off. Like you asked him to explain some things as if he as if uh, the audience was five. I'd love to hear, um, you know, your understanding of some of those those theses that he brought up on the show. Yeah, I mean, um, there are some amazing. Amazing. Tell me if I'm still coming in. I'm trying to play with settings here. You're good. Um, but there's some amazing things that Darius brings up, and he is easily, easily the the head of the the entire game. He is like the Kobe Bryant right now. Rest in peace of this this entire macro thing. Um, and uh, he and he and uh, Wifey Alpha and Carlo Cassio. There's a few people who just they really are seeing the whole playing field and um and it's pretty amazing to see how how many times everyone around has started to try to rush to call something and they've come out the next day and been like you guys are smoking something um but Darius's you know approach is really measured and he believes that we're just never getting back to 2% inflation that there's just not a way and uh without essentially just ruining everything and like that belief fundamentally leads to the question of what happens to bonds uh, in that world? And he believes that effectively the bond market liquidity eventually flows into Bitcoin. He is not, I don't think, a Bitcoiner in the sense that you would look at a lot of people and say he's fundamentally a believer in the technology and the and the you know the cyber hornets and the Michael Saylor boys, uh, as Nick, Nifty Nick would say. Um, but no, it's he's just. Uh, He's a macro dude, and he just sees the playing field, and he's like, oh, yeah, I could see money flowing here. Um, but he's not a cultist, and I think that that's kind of a beautiful thing when you see the evolution of what it means to be a Bitcoin or what it means to be a crypto person, and you see just rational heads saying, you know what, this is um, this looks like a logical flow of money, uh, and I think that that's what you'll start seeing over the next decade, which is why the growth might be a little less emotional like than it has been in the past, but it'll be sustainable. Um, you had another part of the question. I forgot about it. What, what was it? Just the idea of inflation sticking around. So some key figures that got thrown out there, and it was great to hear the numbers. So basically, $7 trillion was pumped into the world, into the money supply by the Federal Reserve in, what, what do you want to call it, 24 months at most, like a two-year period at most. I mean, it's actually less than that, probably like 18 or 20 months, right? And that's through the quantitative easing. And before that, the, the total money supply was $15 trillion. So you're seeing almost a 50% increase in the money supply, which is pretty, you know, pretty nuts. Um, and so w- what about the thesis? He said three is the new two. Uh, I, you know, when he was talking about inflation and, and the kind of metrics that you use to record inflation, what do you think about the idea? And this is this is an idea that Bitcoiners uh, do believe in, the idea that, uh, you know, basically inflation uh, is almost like a new normal in the sense that because of the amount of money that's entered the system, it won't be possible to go back to the prices of old completely. Like there inherently will be a permanent increase. I mean, think about it, right? If inflation is a measure of how much money is out there versus how much stuff and you add 50% more money, then it's kind of hard to keep the the stuff from going up in value um, as just a fundamental concept, right? There's just a math equation there that doesn't let you just keep things at zero, um, and right now, you know, he says three is the new two. I think that's looking a, a significant ways forward where it looks kind of right now like eight or nine is the new two um, because inflation is, is not slowing down right now. And so 
Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting moment. I defer to people way smarter than me. Uh, but all I'll say is that when I listen to people like Darius, if I was to break down the five-year-old lesson here, it would be, um, you know, patience, patience, young one. Uh, because the reality is, is this is a long journey and getting inflation to go away is a very sticky process, uh, given what's just happened. And so, uh, it's going to be an interesting journey. In fact, I saw a tweet. I, I have a nice little roundup of sort of macro tweets to give you a little bit of a bird's eye view on this absolutely f situation. Uh, before we move into more fun stuff like Reddit NFTs and and other types of fun stuff like that. Well, that's awesome, and I want to hear about it. And yeah, Darius, another quote I remember is he talked about in the next three to six to nine months, it's unlikely to see any sort of like you know bull run on risk assets. And he also said something really interesting, which is like for a nine month bear market that we're in right now, the economy is actually in an incredible place because everybody's flush with cash. And so I don't think I, I don't hear that part being talked about that much. You know, like I don't hear people saying the economy is actually in a surprisingly good place for, uh, you know, being in a nine month bear market and how that's actually like really bad because we're not getting the flush uh, that can kind of allow us to restart to bottom and to restart. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard when you're hanging around Nifty Nick and he's always borrowing shekels <laughs> for some Milwaukee's best. Uh, it, you, you wouldn't know how much cash is in the system, uh, but the reality is that there is a ton, and that's why that's why it's important to sort of sift through the noise and surround yourself with people much smarter than you in these times, because this is not uh, a situation that could be well understood by people taking single charts, single snapshots. The people who are understanding the motion of the ocean right now are looking at 50, 70 markets at once really zoomed out metrics and really understanding how these sort of, um, you know, interlocking uh, phenomenon of inflation, uh, debt, uh, bond markets, uh, stocks, treasuries, flows, cash, savings, interest, it's all, it's all interconnected and geopolitical tensions, micro trans, uh, uh, microprocessing chips, like all the, all these things are highly interconnected with what happens next. Anyway, I wanted to bring this up because there's a, there's an account called wifey alpha, that I absolutely love. At first, I thought it was a troll account. I thought it was a total troll account. Um, and, uh, and it's not. It's just some dude who uses his, his wife and her, um, her picture as, a, as his avatar. <laughs> and he's called every single major move. Um, and so uh, he tweeted this this morning. It's really, really uplifting and bright. He says, we are more at the start of this inflationary bear market than the end. You think you have seen pain when the real evil has not even started. You think you are on your way to Elysium when you have no coins for Sharon and your actual journey is to Hades. So that's the fun stuff that I'm looking at right now. And, and as, as illustrative as that is, Wifey is a super, super data-driven um, MFR. So, and, and do you think that that, like that tweet, do you think that that's kind of in line with this idea that things are going too well right now, nine months into the bear market? There's too much cash in people's bank accounts uh, to get to the point that I think he's alluding to, which is just like a horrible situation. Well, the labor market's so, so tight the, and, and, and continued to be super inflationary um, with, with less jobs and more inflation on, on, on jobs and, and essentially salaries, right? And then we have tons of savings, um, which it wasn't the narrative. Everyone was like, oh, there's no savings. Savings is crashing. Well, that's not actually what the data shows, right? There's a lot more savings. There's like historic levels of cash reserves on, on people's balance sheets. Um, and again, we're getting more to the issue of there's just so much cash. So there is not like this um, feeling of something breaking just yet, which is what happened in 2008. Something broke, like everything broke. And so 
Um, that's kind of the uh, the big issue is that we don't have anything that's really going to break yet. The credit markets, the real estate markets, nothing is quite breaking. And that is causing uh, the Fed to really be able to continue to lay it on thick. Um, and meanwhile, inflation hasn't broken yet. It keeps it's structural and it keeps going up. And so or, or it's sticking around. Um, and so that's where you're seeing uh, this kind of perpetuating cycle where we haven't made the progress on inflation. And meanwhile, no matter how much, quote, pain has been reflected in some stock, stock market prices, some crypto prices, the overall economy is still hanging in there. Yeah. I mean, it's something to think about. And if this is just the beginning, it's going to be uh, gnarly here, some gnarly seas ahead. Uh, Nucci has his hand raised. Nucci, something to contribute here, and then we'll go to our other news speaker. Yeah. Hey, Elliot. I, I have a question for Elliot. Um, it seems like you've done a lot of research recently, or it's very obvious you've done a ton of research recently on macro and become really interested in that space. Uh, it's a space I got interested in a few years ago and like never quite was able to wrap my head around because there were as you just listed, like 20 different variables that go into macro, there's like, there's obviously hundreds. But if someone was interested in learning more about this, where would you advise them to go to learn about basic concepts like bonds, treasuries, inflation, credit markets, interest rates, and, and, and understand kind of how they're interconnected? Um, and I guess more, and I, I don't know if you have a single resource, and, and I guess more importantly, as someone who's spent so much time researching it, are there specific concepts you would say, understand these first to get a foundation and then try to understand how the rest of the pieces fit in? Yeah, it's a really good question. And actually, um, it took me several months of really telling, uh, there was one person on my research team, his name's Oliver. So shout out to Oliver, uh, who's listening to this. But back in November, October of last year, when we were all metaverse crazy and the world was up only. Um, and, you know, we were obviously expecting some kind of bear market, um, just like it had happened every four years. No one was really paying attention to the sort of macro uh, headwinds. And and that's when one of my researchers, Oliver, was like, hey, you got to got to check this out, was constantly sending me this sort of what I was classifying as boomer doomer stuff. Um, and it took me a while. It took me months, really, to one, accept that that was, first of all, the most important thing to study. And two, to learn the new language. There's so many new terms. There are so many new things to learn. And it, and it was quite painful, if I'm going to be honest, at first, because it feels like you're back in sort of like a, a college classroom or you're back studying kind of like dusty old textbooks. But the reality is, is that that's where the that's where the most important information is. So there are certainly uh, quite a few terms, quite a few concepts you need to you know wrap your head around. Um, things like treasury yields going up, meaning that no one's buying them. Um, what like re the reverse repo facilities are. Um, what I'll say is that if you follow a few accounts who are much smarter than me, and and I don't like to do this thing where I say, oh yeah, I'm a macro expert. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a macro enthusiast at this point, and I synthesize research by people smarter than me into um, what I think of as easy to understand tidbits for more of a mainstream audience, which which they're not speaking to, you know, every everyday people. They're speaking kind of to fellow experts. So I'll, I'll say that the accounts that I listed out were Lynn Alden, uh, Carlo Cassio, uh, Wifey Alpha, Darius Dale, um, and uh, Dylan LeClaire. And those are just five easy accounts. Just go follow them. I actually have a tweet I'll send to uh, 
to Nick and Pio to, um, to, to go pin here. And so you guys can go just follow those accounts and just try when you see terms on, on the tweets, just like Google them, look at an Investopedia and maybe just try to learn one term a day, one term a week. Um, it's, it's going to be a journey, right? It's not, a, it's not like a flip it on and all of a sudden you're an expert, but it's worth the, it's worth the journey for sure. And I can co-sign the, the podcast that Elliot did with Darius Dale's Badass. And I'm a fan of Lynn Alden and Dylan LeClaire myself. Just followed Wifey Alpha for the first time. Uh, we'll have to look into Carlo Cassio. Uh, so we got AT0XNQ.Lens, a really, really easy to say username and handle here on Twitter. Uh, says your quote is, show me the incentives. I will show you the results. That's a quote that you hear in the Bitcoin world quite a bit. And you're repping Web3BTC. Uh, no self-promotion, but we definitely want to hear all about uh, you know, what you're thinking as a content creator. Please take it away. Yeah, I was actually wanted to add into what Ilya was saying about like the breaking point of the whole economy. And as someone who's like, I'm a macro fan too, um, what I have been thinking is that the winter is going to be like a watershed moment where energy consumption increases a lot and the the way the energy market is set up now is going to basically have to make every central bank like rethink their position i don't know what Elia is thinking about that and how you're following that story i mean yeah i did i've done a few uh energy crisis videos uh it's it's very 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 concerning uh extremely concerning and uh there's definitely a long-term solution in that we you know as an american uh, the United States has a lot of natural resources that are not being used and fully utilized. So that's kind of nice uh, to know that long term there is a solution. But short term, this winter, uh, with the strategic petroleum reserves, if effectively, the United States has this huge bucket of oil. Think of it as an endless uh, you know, barrel of oil that they keep for when it's needed most. Um, and it's it's a reserve and it's been in place for decades and decades because of all the oil issues that the country experienced in the 70s. And um, and the strategic petroleum reserve is getting emptied out. Literally, it's getting emptied out at the fastest pace on record by the Biden administration. And we know why to control inflation, to control the, the cost of gas at the pump, which it has been doing effectively. Uh, gas prices have come down. But this is, of course, so transparently an election ploy. Uh, because we have the midterm elections and it's a very important one where we know that if effectively the, Demo uh, the Democrats don't hold their majority, then it's going to be gridlock once again for the next two years until the next presidential election. So this is, of course, a huge political move. Um, but the question is, is it the right move for the country? And what happens if we're all out of that strategic petroleum reserve in a time like this winter where Russia and OPEC are collaborating to cut um, production on oil so that there's less and less oil coming into the world? It's a crazy, crazy game of 4D chess going on with these countries. And I'll have to shout out Arthur Hayes right now. Arthur Hayes did a huge article at the beginning of the year saying when the Biden administration seized uh, Russia's uh, U.S. dollar reserves, that it was a single change in global uh, geopolitical history. And I think we're about to see what that all is going to mean here in the next sort of six months or so. So I agree, it's going to be massive. It's massive, and then if you if you it's a crisis. But if you want to look at silver lining, if you listen to some of the like 
the technology experts, what they're talking about is that you're slowly starting to see a shift in the narrative surrounding nuclear energy because nuclear energy has long just had a a negative narrative basically. And I I mean, you can imagine why, right? Just the word nuclear uh, is going to scare people. There's Chernobyl, uh, obviously like, you know, the atom bombs and everything like that. However, it does basically solve the global energy crisis issue more or less. Uh, And if you then really fast forward and pair it with something like proof of work mining to provide incentives and to not waste energy to provide this really robust blockchain to secure global money, then it starts to make a lot of sense. Not going to happen overnight, right? It's going to take time, but you love to see uh, efficient energy narrative shifting based on necessity. Uh, Nucci, you had your hand raised for a second. What's going on? Yeah, again, another question for uh, Elliot here on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, I remember looking into this like a few years ago. I think we tapped into it and I wasn't aware that Biden was currently uh, hitting it. But I remember looking, looking into it and thinking it wasn't that much oil. And and I just looked at it and it looks like it's 700 million gallons of oil, more or less, and or barrels, either gap barrels. Yeah. Or, and we use as the U.S. about 20 per day, which if we were to like just lean on that, it would be out in about a month. Are they is, is the, basically the idea that they're tapping that saying it's like an emergency in the sense that oil prices are too high and people can't get their shit done. And we just like, like the general infrastructure, if we don't have, if we don't have low cost oil is, is going to erode. And, or is it more of like a, like you said, a political, it's like, I imagine it also leans into being a bit of a political thing, leaning into coming into an election year. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not meant to be a political thing. It's meant to be a, a national emergency thing, right? Like if we need oil, I don't know if everybody knows this, but oil is pretty much in everything and every product category, uh, across the globe, across, across our modern society. And so, yeah, it was, it was like, Hey, national security, if we need some oil and we're dependent on foreign oil, then how do we, uh, how do we make sure that we can, you know, bridge the gap, uh, in certain scenarios and in this particular world that we're in, um, it's being used politically effectively to, to lows, lower prices before an election, which is not the way it should be used. Um, but it's just, you know, we're in a hyper politicized world. Um, I try not to really talk too much politics, but it's impossible not to right now um, in, in this modern climate. Yeah, and, and the, the politics are informing so much of what we have to talk about on this show, you know, when it comes to macroeconomics. Let's go to A20XNQ.lens, the easiest name <laughs> to say in the Twitter space one more time, and then we'll keep it moving. Go ahead. Yeah, you can say ATUX, that works. But anyways, um, I was I wanted to just highlight another thing because we were talking about oil, but I think the most critical thing is gas in Europe. And this is something Arthur also wrote about. In the fact that, in the sense that, even though America may have its like resources short up for the winter, they still have at some point to yield to th- their allies' necessities because of geopolitical, like, like union, right? So that's like another part of this whole puzzle that we have to deal with in the short term. Yes, yeah, it's, it's something to think about for sure. And so, you know, if if we were talking about uh, politics a little bit. If I kind of shift to the politics of crypto, Web3, and NFTs, you're seeing a political uh, shift on the Reddit side. So we talked about this on our morning show today. If I look at OpenSea and I look at the top 10 OpenSea collections right now, you're seeing four out of the 10 collections for for most up to date. Yeah, one, two, three. 
three, four out of the top 10 collections actually uh, being Reddit collections, um, or it looks like it's three now, but it was four earlier, four in the top 15. Um, and so there's the, been a little bit of a shift where there was an arbitrary hatred for NFTs in the Reddit ecosystem. But now because Redditors have received NFTs for free or had gotten access to buy NFTs for an incredibly low cost, like between $10 and $200, $10 being a low cost for, for any you know, asset and $200 uh, being a low cost relative to what people are used to paying for assets in the NFT space. Um, and then having a monster pump on said assets, you're seeing a, a, a kind of an adoption wave, a mini one, right? It's not a hype cycle, but a little bit of a wave of adoption you know, uh, changing some Reddit users' tunes. And, and it also came with a rebrand, right? Uh, avatar collectibles. Like, Elliot, you have a pretty good-looking avatar collectible right there that you're sporting right now on Twitter. When you, uh, when you made that and, and, you know, when you made it your Twitter picture, did you know it was an avatar collectible? You know, that's so funny, P.O., because I really didn't. Um, and the uh, the other thing that I'd like to point out is that there's a this political uh, shift is not only hitting Reddit, it's also hitting Apple. But I don't want to get off the Reddit topic just yet. Um, but it's funny, right? We had this economic downturn. Apple loses a little bit of ground in their stock. Their iPhones aren't selling as hot. And guess who's new to the NFT party? Come to Papa for some of that revenue. Yeah, that's it's just a it's just a beautiful thing how incentives drive the world round, and that's why you can really depend on crypto uh, to take over because the incentives are there. Absolutely. And we can, we can also talk about that for sure. You know, on the Reddit side. So uh, Elliot, I don't know how you came into the NFT space. I don't know how Nucci came into the NFT space. I came in through Nifty Gateway, which for, if people don't know, was a centralized platform that was selling quote unquote digital art. Like the, the NFT word was thrown around. Don't get me wrong. Like NFT was thrown around with Nifty Gateway, but digital art was like kind of the main narrative. And this is like right around and right before people made his $69 million sale in that Christie's auction. And that's when entities like the in the mainstream media, CNBC um, and other mainstream media entities started covering, you know, the digital art space, right? You didn't really hear NFT that often unless they were spelling out non-fungible tokens. And, you know, in those kind of like mini hype cycles, you see big pumps. Like when I bought into NFTs on Nifty Gateway, almost every single NFT that I bought actually experienced a pump, but then you saw the big bubble burst. And there was quality mixed into that bubble. Entities like X Copy. I mean, I already brought up Beeple, but you know, Beeple sold on the primary sale for one thousand U.S. dollars and ran up to literally two hundred thousand uh, dollars at if, like floor price at the peak of the hype cycle, and then came crashing back down. Not all the way back down to a thousand dollars, obviously, but you know, tens of thousands rather than hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and another entity that comes to, to mind right away, you know, X Copy, um, Monster Pump big crash back to basically mint price, and then another face-melting pump when the rest of the market pumped like Board Ape Yacht Club in late summer, early fall uh, 2021. Uh, and I'll throw it to Nifty Nick in a minute who has his hand raised, but I'm curious, Elliot, how did you come into the NFT space? Like what were the, I, I think you told me maybe Board Ape Yacht Club were some of your first assets. And what could you see, if you had to make a prediction, 
in terms of these different collections that are dropping on Reddit, uh, what sort of trajectory would you predict, you know, taking the macro environment into consideration, but also taking Reddit as an entity into consideration as well? Yeah, it's a great question. So let me break that apart. First of all, I got into the NFT space way long ago, back in the olden days of uh, my, my first aggressive buying spree was CryptoKitties. Um, but I actually had bought uh, a few sort of odd uh, NFTs throughout 2017 as well. Um, all the wrong ones, but, you know, we bought them. And so, you know, one of the things that I was a little bit weary of uh, was effectively that a lot of these um, scarcity models didn't work out. And so, you know, you know, specifically CryptoKitties, right? That was the first hit NFT and it went to zero because of their breeding mechanics. And, uh, or for the most part, it went to zero. You know, you have to be very lucky. I think some of them kind of bounce back at like, like the peak of the bull run um, this time, but like not really. Um, so that was my first experience, but the whole time I thought to myself, this is the biggest thing since, since, you know, altcoins and we became obsessed. And so we started building a video game in mid 2018, um, that was kind of like had a generative character as its base. Um, it was kind of like a live action version of crypto kitties, um, with like meets overwatch type battles. Um, we ended up building for like almost two years and then scrapping the game because we didn't think it was going to be able to go mainstream. And that's when we started building imposters after, you know, really zooming out, looking at the playing field and understanding, okay, how can we build something that is really meant for the modern gaming culture, not just a game with NFTs, but the right game for the next era of gaming. And that's when we started building imposters. So We've been obsessed with NFTs really for the better part of five years. Uh, then we started buying, I bought a few punks in 2020 because um, I was really following that movement. Um, I don't like to flex my NFT buys uh, too much because, you know, I bought them so cheap. I bought everything so cheap. It's sort of not really, they weren't that strong of a conviction play. You know, there was a few thousand bucks. Um, and then you have Board Ape Yacht Club, which was what really sold me on that there was something that could be built out of this raw JPEG thing. Um, and just to answer your final question, which is how do you, how do you really, um, you know, identify what's going to work and what's going to not? Well, after Board Ape Yacht Club, everything that happened thereafter was people coming in expecting for these projects to have significant pumps. And so what did you get? You got flippers, you got speculators, and you got market makers, effectively people who were pumping, leaning into volume, creating volume, and then taking profits into strength or exit liquidity, right? That's a totally new market dynamic that was not there throughout 2020 and early 2021. And so I said this many times on my channel that everything that happened after the Board Ape Yacht Club explosion and the Axie Infinity explosion was now a new market cycle and should be treated differently. And I'll say the exact same thing about Reddit, which is the na the natural price growth that happened before crypto Twitter identified and started pumping the shit out of Reddit NFTs was all natural ecosystem valuations. And now you're getting supernatural sort of bubblish, um, you know, bubblicious uh, valuations that are coming from speculators thinking, hmm, here's the amount of users, here's the amount of this doing moon boy math. That's where you get these huge overvaluations. So everything that's happened in the last week, or the last, you know, four days or whatever, you know, whenever crypto, uh, CT figured it out, I would, I would cross that off and say, that's all stuff you should throw out. But wherever those prices were kind of before CT figured it out, that's kind of natural ecosystem valuations. Yeah, be really, I mean, when you kind of break it down like that, it's almost like the entire nifty gateway 
uh, like kind of bull market followed by bubble bursting in four days. Uh, so it shows how quickly things can happen now, and it's happening in a bear market. Nick, you've had your hand raised. What's going on? Oh, you're finally going to get to me. Uh, I heard enough of this bearish <laughs> commentary. Let me tell you about this Reddit uh, space. It's a bunch of garbage. Um, <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, so like last year, we were trading NFTs and, and uh, Board Ape Yacht Club came out. And the distinction between them and basically everything before it was it's not just art, they're executing. And all that it was was like the first thing was another airdrop like right out the gate with the uh, dogs. And then, um, or Board Ape Kennel Club. And uh, I, I feel like the bigger question is, with the with the uh, Reddit avatars or uh, whatever we're calling them, avatar collectibles, baby. Got it. Avatar collectibles. It's uh, it, it's. I guess you could argue. Well, it's pure, so that's cool uh, in the sense that like that's all that it is. Uh, but it feels like we shifted all of the attention. I mean, to be fair, most of the speculation in this space. 95% of it goes to like garbage projects that aren't building anything. But there's this like weird crossover and I don't know where this ends up. Which one ends up being valued more? Is it ones which don't have like access and membership and all this other stuff and you uti quote utility or is it uh, the ones which are basically just art collectibles and, th and that's it. Um, and But for the time being... It, it's clearly like a speculative bubble. I'm not quite sure how long this sustains, but like, I mean, I guess they could just keep doing additional drops, but inevitably you have the supply go up. I, I don't know. It, it just feels like short-term hype and, and the reality is we're paying attention to it because there's nothing else that's going on. Um, but like, I just don't see this sustaining uh, for an extended period. Uh, in fact, uh, there are, the main NFT, the spooky season, poi -e -e, however you say it, um, that one uh, was up to like 0 0.45, 0 0.48. It's now down to like 0 0.329. And ultimately, like it, whoever bought it for cheap, being like $100, $50, $10, however much they ended up spending, and now they have you know, hundreds or a thousand dollars or something like that. Although it's not a thousand dollars now because ETH isn't worth that much. Although ETH is pumping right now. So it went up to $500. They're probably thinking like, damn, I can sell this for 500. I might as well sell this. So I'm, I'm imagining there's going to be more, uh, sell sales pressure and like, which of us, like, it, it, I guess on the collectible side, where does this fit in that category? Like, where do, do you look at this and you're like, well, I can't afford a punk, so I'm going to get a Reddit PFP. I don't think that the the so I don't think the Reddit crowd gives a shit about punks or apes yet. I, I don't if, think the Reddit Reddit crowd does, but I don't think they're the ones buying it on secondary. Right? Some of them might be. There there might be a small percentage of people that maybe missed out but are on Reddit and privy to Reddit, and this is their onboarding. We've seen some tweets from folks that are basically coming to NFT and crypto Twitter saying, hey, I'm from Reddit, I'm new, and like I need help onboarding. Who should I follow? I've seen a couple of those. Uh, did you have any? Did you want to finish that thought, Nick, before I throw it to Nucci? I mean, I, I, yeah, it, it's hard to say. The problem is, is we don't have the ability to track demographics with uh, on-chain activity, so it's very difficult um, to provide an assessment. That said, 
you got basically DC uh, blogger, DCL blogger coming on and uh, b- spending $50,000 on them. You have some other whale, ETH whales, basically just coming in to like flex on the new thing. But like historically, any of those uh, uh, pumps have not sustained. And in a bear market, it just doesn't. So my, the real question for me is just like, wh- it, like in one month, two months from now, frankly, two weeks from now, is anyone going to actually care about this? And if I were the, if I were going to place a bet, I'm going to say no. So I, I, my bet would be that Reddit's not going to go anywhere and they're going to slowly gain more and more relevance. However, that does not mean that I don't think that the prices, the floor prices of these individual collections as they stand right now will not trend yeah. downward as is the way of crypto and NFTs in most cases when there's any sort of hype uh, cycle, even if it's a mini hype cycle like this. Well, one last note on this, which you do raise a good point, which is, Essentially, what they've done a great job is, A, they already have immense distribution and they have far more distribution than pretty much any other NFT ecosystem, including OpenSea. So they now what OpenSea has major distribution to is NFT buyers. Like there's a large number of buyers and they have the largest pool of NFT buyers, basically. But uh, Reddit, for their part, has the largest distribution. So you could imagine them doing something with artists in a more creative way outside of just giving the uh, Reddit you know, character or, or logo, basically, a remix. They could, get, they could like really enter the NFT space in a more significant way and give a place like, I think, a, I mean, this sounds crazy, but give a place like um, Nifty Gateway or something like that a run for their money in the sense that like just on the volume side of things, in the sense that like artists, why wouldn't they go where they get the most distribution, even if that happens to be uh, a profile picture marketplace um, that generates an incredible amount of volume? Yeah, I mean, you go ahead, Elliot. If, if I could just jump in here, the reason why these popped off were, first of all, they were ignored by crypto Twitter and they were essentially dismissed um, because they weren't NFT enough for the NFT community. And let's just be honest, they were like a little bit more work to get your coins over there and actually buy them. And so that was why like a lot of NFT heads ignored them. Now, I think you're absolutely right that the CT inspired pump actually dies. Uh, But the Reddit inspired valuations that people are actually using these for Um, Now, here's the real question. Did CT make Redditors hate their own bags and uh, and not want them? And so that's really the big question in my mind is, is the speculation culture something that is actually kind of like a hindrance to people caring because they're like, ugh, I don't like what this became. Um, And when the pump dies, you know, where the Reddit community still likes these things. So the question is, uh, will that continue to grow on more Redditors? Um, and, and if that is the case, then you'd imagine valuations would creep up over time, right? Yeah. And we've got, uh, someone that's representing for Reddit that I saw, uh, JW Poppy, I'll throw to you after we go to Nucci and Nick, just to wrap up on this, because I saw that you were on Farouk's show, uh, discussing the situation. Nick, you just raised your hand, something there, in response to Elio. There's one more thought that like comes to mind in terms of these avatars where there is a utility that I could actually see in this, which is basically... Uh, right now, we don't have both Twitter, YouTube, a lot of these places have uh, are, are dealing with the issue of bots, including Reddit. 
uh, where you have the issue of bots, you have the issue of uh, spam, and that issue has not improved, like that, or that problem has not been resolved by any means. You could see there being a world where a paid avatar is is effectively similar to like a paid membership. Now, Twitter Blue, for the most part, is a garbage product. Like, yeah, I can put my verified NFT, although I haven't taken the time to do that after I switched my PFP because I really don't care. And so there's no like actual fundamental utility to it. But there's been a conversation historically around like, hey, should uh, uh, you know t- these social media platforms have a paid uh, a paid solution that kind of addresses some of the spam related stuff? And I think these paid avatars actually are a potential, and this is all theoretical, but like a vehicle for tackling some of those issues. Whereas like if someone's paying a hundred dollars or whatever it is, now I don't know what the average price is for a uh, an aged Twitter account. I don't know if it's like $5 or $10. So it has to be some level, which is, uh, commiserate with, um, you know, like I don't know what the, the free market is pricing that the spam accounts at, but there, you could see there being some sort of prioritization over people which invest heavily in these sorts of assets. And the cool aspect of that is I can then liquidate it. I don't need to hold on to that thing indefinitely. And it, it creates this whole uh, uh, secondary ecosystem built around it of which you have millions and millions of people involved with. Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, there's a few there's a few things that I've been thinking about with the Reddit stuff that's interesting too on top of it. Number one, the fact that they did it on Polygon, I think is a big indicator that the gas fee thing is still a really big deal for a lot of non-onboarded uh, potential NFT buyers. Uh, at the Vegas event last week, Web3 Expo, or excuse me, at the DGen NFT event that was partnered with Web3 Expo, I talked to a young artist, she was like 23, and she like went out of her way to basically rant about how like how bad gas fees are on Ethereum and why she never would do that. And that's why she did Solana. So it's not something that anybody that buys Ethereum NFTs um, you know, necessarily thinks about, but it actually is something that a, a very sizable percentage of the market um, you know, is concerned about. And I don't think it's an accident that Reddit elected to do it on a gasless L2 like that. Like they didn't do that by accident. The other thing is that Nick talked about, you know, potential utility for these NFTs. The It's popular for us to say, and I say it all the time, that there's no utility for NFTs right now except for digital identity. There just flat out isn't, right? Like what do you get when you get an NFT? You get the digital picture that you can use as your digital identity. That's it. You It won't drive your car for you. It's not going to mow your lawn nothing like that, right? However, these are digital technology-based collectibles, which inherently long-term will be better than the physical versions because they can be built on. So for example, the I, I use this comparison a lot, the rotary phone that my grandmother used to make phone calls did great. You know, its utility was that it could make a phone call, but my iPhone has a GPS, it has a camera, it has literally, it's a TV. The digital version of that phone is way better. Uh, We're in the first inning of these digital assets, digital collectibles, and long-term, you will see utility built on top. And the one last thing that Nick brought up that I think is worth mentioning is Nick's talking about Reddit giving someone like Nifty Gateway a run for their money. I think that's almost an understatement because uh, my the company that I worked at before you know I was full time Web three uh, brought Steve Huffman, who's one of the co founders and the current CEO of uh, Reddit, as a speaker. 
And he was talking about how Reddit was partnering with Ethereum to scale Ethereum. And uh, Press came on our morning show this morning. Press is a, a good Twitter Spaces participant. He was talking about the history of blockchain and tokenized assets with Reddit. They've been long on this, and uh, they have the community thing down pat. So I think that it's totally natural that NFTs would be integrated with Reddit. And you're seeing the seeds of the narrative, the kind of political opinions of Redditors start to shift. Uh, Nucci, you have your hand raised. Then I want to throw to you slash JW Poppy, but Nucci, what's going on? Yeah, a couple thoughts here. So uh, I, I think the main thing that is exciting to me about all this is the onboarding process. Um, I remember I've been at Reddit, <clears throat> excuse me, I've read I've had a Reddit account for 10 years. And um, I remember seeing the banner to like to claim this a while back and I think I clicked on it, but didn't get very far. Um, and like looking at some of the screenshots now, my understanding is they sort of removed the concept of a wallet and they called it a vault. They removed the word NFT, which we've talked about. Um, you, I think you had to buy with a credit card, uh, using Stripe. And I think all that abstraction for someone who isn't in NFTs makes a ton of sense. For me, I have a feeling, I don't remember exactly how far I got, but I probably saw all those things and I was like, ah, this isn't a real NFT and and left. And let that be like a learning lesson for me that that some of these things are opportunities. But yeah, they made it so friendly that like I literally didn't want to buy. But I think that's really important for onboarding the next you know billion users. And the thing I'm really interested in though, it's like, I kind of suspect there's going to be a dichotomy on Reddit between the uh, NFT avatar people and the not NFT avatar people. Because, for example, uh, like the subreddit rart has 21 million subscribers, and you will be banned on art or the, the subreddit art if you post an NFT. Like if you do art, if you create if you create digital art and you were to mint that art and then you were to post that, that would get you banned. If you were to not mint it, like put it on the blockchain, it would not get you banned. I, I've, I've I've tweeted about this. I think it's insane. That that's their policy, but it does show like a strong stance against NFTs in the largest art subreddit. So I'm, I'm very interested to see as adoption grows on Reddit, how communities that are allergic to NFTs deal with it. And I, I do sort of suspect some are going to be like, if you walk in our subreddit with one of these avatars, you are out of here. And I wouldn't be surprised if like Reddit ends up adding policies and all that. But I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how those two sides of uh, how those two populations end up working with each other. The the pump aside, I think the pump's interesting, but like kind of the least interesting part of all this. Um, like Reddit is huge. They're the sixth most visited website on earth. They get 50% more traffic than Twitter. I think the general, like this is just a general step, like a huge step for adoption. And I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I think that like a lot of big companies are watching Reddit right now and taking notes. Um, my only concern or like kind of a joke, I guess, is like, are we getting dumped on by Redditors right now? Like, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yes, I, I think we should be. I think we should not be concerned. I think we should be excited to get dumped on by, by Redditors. I think we should give them some ex exit liquidity so that they go around talking about how, how amazing NFTs are. I think Farouk was talking about that yesterday. And I think that that's absolutely the way we should all volunteer to get a little bit dumped on together. Um, but more importantly, I, this whole concept of identity... Uh, 
Um, you know, I'm a big believer that gaming is the vehicle that takes this mainstream. Look at gaming. Why does 99% of the assets that sell get purchased? It's for that little bit of visual upgrade, that little bit of identity, that little bit of personality that you want to see reflected in your favorite digital experience. And when you look at Reddit, of course, these people have been posting on Reddit for, and, and I mean it with, with all due respect, these people have been posting on Reddit like anonymously for decades and having some anonymous way to show your uh, credibility in these communities is going to be something that they start to like if we don't ruin it for them. And, um, and that's an amazing thing. And the more that people fight them, the more it gets talked about, the more divisive it is, the more the conversation happens and the more people end up saying, Hmm, I might want to try one of these. It's going to happen, right? It's happening right now. Um, and so that's what I'll say is the identity thing can be downplayed but you know obviously we've all had these conversations forever you know what is a rolex and and it doesn't do anything different than a swatch but of course the identity of it is different right and so once the community values x thing as a higher status then that's all it takes and so it's going to happen slowly but surely i think the use case for digital or collectible digital avatars is great and i think that looking at you know gaming that's what people will will do obviously there's opportunities in gaming to like share revenues and and you know have all that cool like you know economic stuff going on that i believe in um but let's not you know underestimate this whole i want to look cool online thing because people are especially in a world that's getting weirder and you know sickness and war and all this stuff like people want to have some kind of like digital world that feels like theirs and i think that that's going to become more and more like this is the decade of digital identity I love that the decade of digital identity. There's a title for uh, for a, like a special or a documentary or something like that. Very nice, Elliot. You know, I love what you said. Uh, digital identity isn't going anywhere. We can't. No one can ruin it for anybody else because it's bigger than any individual or any group of people. Just like toxic Bitcoin maximalism is, it, it can't ruin Bitcoin because Bitcoin's bigger than any individual or group of people's opinion on it. And you can apply that to a bunch of different stuff. The internet, right? Like so, anything, it doesn't matter. It's just flat out bigger than uh, any individual person or opinion. So we got a representative from Reddit uh, in a timely fashion. It's almost like we planned it, but we did not. We got you slash JW Poppy. I checked out your timeline and it it showed me that you were on Faroque show doing a little chit chat about Reddit. You got your hand raised. You joined this show. What's going on? Uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, so um, I'm not working for Reddit. I'm just a Reddit avatar fan, and right. I felt like I felt like I could add something valuable to this conversation. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to shill anything. I don't want to talk about obviously. Like I don't want to rate rate the situation at all. So I just want to give a little bit of context, which I, I feel like is missing when evaluating the situation. Let's because, do because you know you've 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 named some you know, speculations about Reddit, the importance of Reddit, and how big it is. Um, but what's been the key uh, thing that happened that kind of started this movement, because I was in, like, very from the start when we had, like, I literally opened the first Discord, made the first website, and all that stuff. So the, the key thing that happened was that Reddit dropped um, avatars from the top down to their most active users for free. And this was, you know... This was for a lot of people that, including me, that have never touched NFTs. That was like, you know, there was one of you guys that made this Twitter post. You know, the first fix is always free, or the first kick is always free. 
and you know you check you check a lot of people check their price and they actually went for ten dollars because they were not available even though they were free um and then i also saw there were actually collectible avatars that were more expensive and you know a couple of people are are a little bit egocentric like me and they went in there and I said, okay, I actually don't want to have the free one. I want to buy a better one. And then you buy the better one. You you go on and from that day on, it basically, you know, it was not sold out for two months, but from the day on, they started to give free avatars. It went real quick. I think it took like two or three weeks for everything to sell out. And it was just a slowly, slowly release of those free avatars. Um, and then they released the same amount of avatars for the second uh, generation and it was sold out in a day um so yeah i think this is really the key point to focus on is you know what led to that adoption it's not that it's reddit it's not that they can show their profile picture off it's been you know giving them a taste and giving them you know like a bounty to set up their wallet a bounty to check out OpenSea and that kind of thing yeah, no, I mean you're you're basically saying the same thing I was saying earlier, which is that you know when you give when you give something uh, someone something for free, like people, let's be honest, what's the arbitrary hate of NFTs? Where does it come from? Realistically, it comes from a feeling that you missed out on something and that you won't be able to get back in if you just. So uh, we're we're content creators, right? Elliot's a massive content creator. Me and Nick run a content business. Nucci has a podcast. Everyone up here is a content creator. Uh, if you looked at bull run NFT content, it was two things. It was either negative talk about NFTs, or, which is what we're talking about now, or and that's because people didn't understand what they were. Nobody ever uh, taught them in simple terms what NFTs were and what the value is of digital scarcity and blah, blah, blah. Instead, the only content that got shoved down their throat over and over again for the entire bull run uh, was, I paid $200 for this NFT and I just sold it for $150,000, literally, which literally happened. And uh, people just get pissed when they hear that because like they're like, what the hell are you even talking about? I have $200. I would have done that if I knew how. Why did I miss out on this? And that's where the arbitrary hate for NFTs comes from. If you then give someone an NFT for $10, you rebrand it as a collectible avatar, you have you have it deeply ingrained with the platform that they already spend a ton of their free time on. It's their fun place. It's their social place. Uh, and then you let them sell it for 2000 bucks. All of a sudden, it doesn't sound so bad. Um, so I'm really curious to see what the Reddit community does long-term. It's going to be interesting to see what the Reddit platform does long-term. I'm excited about it. Elliot talked about gaming being an onboarder for NFTs. I agree with that. I think everybody can kind of see how that would happen. It's a very natural, um, it's a natural relationship, right? Digital assets and video games, uh, the unique ownership, the digital scarcity, it's just going to make that situation much better. When I think of other major, and, and you know, you listen to this, a guy like Gabe uh, Layden from Digidaigaku and, and Limit Break, he says the same thing, right? When you think about, uh, you know, other ways that you get waves of mass adoption, we saw the wave of influencers bringing people in like a Gary Vaynerchuk, forcing everybody that went to VCon, his big conference that his audience wants uh, to, you know, go to. Like there's a built-in demand for that. He said he didn't say you can buy the ticket on Ticketmaster or you can get the NFT. Literally, when you went to the website and you clicked on buy tickets, it took you to OpenSea. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, well, Gary Vee is a real one when it comes to like promoting adoption of digital assets. He's literally forcing people to buy the ticket as an NFT. And then another thing I can think about is the fine art world, you know, the big sale of the Beeple NFT 
for you know making a case for digital art. And that was the onboarder. I came in right before that. And that was like the thing that secured me in the space. And I think Nick would tell you the same thing. Um, Elliot, if you were going to brainstorm other potential onboarders, we talked about gaming. We talked about like a massive sale in the digital art world. If we see more of those, like a massive sale on a Tyler Hobbs or a generative art piece, you could see a bull run and, and adoption for digital art or for generative art. Um, and then we talked about, you know, influencers like Gary V basically forcing their audience uh, to buy something that is a digital asset because they want it anyway. If you had to brainstorm, could you think of other things that we could see here in the next three to six years that could onboard people to this space? Yeah, I mean, the obvious one that I've been a big fan of for a long time is ticketing. Uh, we all know about the second secondhand uh, market for ticketing and scalping is is something that the uh, the original uh, uh, promoters miss out on completely. Um, that'll have to be sandboxed though, because you know, with the current royalty stuff, they don't want people skirting royalties. Um, and so, you know, looking at ticketing, it, it seems like it's close, it's easy, uh, easy to do. Um, but some of the other stuff that's actually more interesting that's going on behind the scenes is, you know, these NFT tokens are, are simply just stuff online that's unique and protected. I see a lot of really interesting tech going on with data um, using NFT technology. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, cookies and other types of softwares uh, that are going to be going into NFTs. Uh, stuff that is going to onboard people, though, you know, you just look at the user behavior and you say, where are people buying digital things, like fully digital things? And there's just not that many places yet. Um, on Reddit, people are like, oh, I did this new thing. It's new and it's different and it's bold and it's divisive and it's all that. Well, if I go into, you know, Call of Duty and I buy a, a digital skin for 50 bucks, well, that's the same thing I've been doing, right? And so there's nothing, you know, it, it's just instant scale. And so that's where I just think that um, I'm just going to harp on it. You know, you're not going to find me talking about another on-ramp that's nearly, it's like everything else is like little, you know, droplets of, of little grains of sand, whereas you have literally like, you know, this the Saharan desert of gaming. Um, and that's just like m money that is destined to come in to NFT. NFTs, it is there. It is already sand. It's already ready. Like I don't even know where I got this this metaphor of sand, but it's happening. And um, and so that's the point. Is is to me, all of it is tiny. Because even if I buy a ticket and it's an NFT, like I don't care. I'm there to see a band, right? I'm there just to see a band, right? It doesn't affect me as a user and my lifetime experience, really. Um, except that I have like this thing that I keep with me, you know, as like a little memory. But I still, you know, I, you know, whatever. I have a paper ticket. I put it in a box. It's the same. So to me, it's like none of it compares to the gaming thing. Um, and that's why I'm going to be really boring and just say, no, gaming. <laughs> well, you heard from Elio Trades, ladies and gentlemen. He said, "Gaming, bitch," basically is the uh, the message there. Well, look, that's the top of the hour. This is the Web Three Show. Uh, would love to just keep this show going for longer, but Elliot's got to run a multi million dollar gaming operation. Imposters. We got to go on YouTube and interview Jeff Staple. Uh, shout out to Gabe Layden, a gaming entrepreneur in the crowd himself. Uh, open invite to come on our YouTube, Gabe, uh, to talk shop about adoption and nfts and everything in between we do this show monday through friday 9 a.m pacific time shout out to the west coast crowd and 12 noon eastern time a dope hour with elliot uh we'll see you guys tomorrow thanks so much for listening check us out on youtube